Mr. Shono, worries on point and on the podcast. China levels sanctions against a conservative MP who says he'll wear them like a badge of honor. But what does it actually mean for Michael Chong? High-ranking female lieutenant comes forward to Global News and breaks her silence, saying there are two sets of rules when it comes to those who are in charge and dealing with sexual misconduct. And how do you open your business if you're already being threatened with another shutdown? We'll talk to local businesses that say they cannot figure out what they're supposed to do. Let's get talking. What's your point? You just don't ever get the point. By getting through to you, that's the point. Do you understand? There is a point. That point where enough is enough. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Listening. I don't want to predict two weeks out, but uh, we'll we'll be out here every single day communicating with the people. I just, I can't give you a direct answer uh, right now, two weeks down the road. How are businesses supposed to get ready to reopen when all we hear is talk of another lockdown? But here we go. We're back to another Mixed Message Monday. That's what the theme is. Always a mixed message, because if you own a, a gym, a hair salon, nail salon, tattoo shop, I mean, never mind. If you own any kind of small business, you now know what it feels like to be a yo-yo, you know? You plunge, you plunge down, and then you jerk back up, and then you go back down. And just when you think you're coming back up, it kind of just falls apart, crashes to the floor. No momentum. And you have to kind of think, like, that's how businesses feel right now, certainly in hot zones that are trying to prepare for this apparent opening on April 12th. And they're doing it while reading the writing that is glaring on the wall. Because cases, shock of all shock, are going back up. And of course, the predictable cries for more lockdowns are, are just deafening. Uh, Hamilton just went back down into lockdown. They had a couple of weeks of, of some freedom. And now gyms and uh, in-house dining all gone. And now BC has just uh, triggered a three-week lockdown. And this morning, uh, John Tory pretty much uh, warned that uh, Toronto should be not getting excited about any kind of opening. I don't think people should set their watch to that because we have a very serious health situation on the go at the moment. It continues to be on the go. It continues, in fact, to deteriorate to some extent. And that that requires all of us to be looking at this on a day-by-day basis, that uh, we have to keep people's health paramount and have to take a cautious approach. And I make no apology for the fact that I'm an advocate for a cautious approach. Cautious or wimpy? Neither is a good choice. I mean, look, I think, you know, it's time that our leaders show some leadership at every level of government, because I don't know how businesses, they don't know how they're supposed to prepare for an opening that has lockdown written all over it. And no one's taking charge. I mean, where is the clarity? Businesses reopening on the 12th, for them to do that, it means shelling out more costs to get the store ready, um, getting everything ordered in supplies, bringing staff back. You know, why would they want to shell out more costs if the open sign's just going to be closed again? Because it's very clear, because we've done this so many times now, that in two weeks, cases will be worse, right? We're going through two major holidays, Passover and Easter, and history proves we always see a spike in cases. And I'd like to think that our so-called experts have uh, discovered a new strategy that allows us to live and function with this virus, but that leadership simply does not exist. I mean, not outside of uh, York's medical officer of health, Dr. Kurji, and sadly, he's not calling the shots. 
it probably be a lot different if he was. And I've gotten a lot of emails since Friday, mostly from very frustrated business owners saying, you know, what is the point of booking up appointments, spending money to open just to be shut down again? They need clarity. They need stability. And like so many of us, just desperate for some leadership. And we're not getting any from those in charge. You know, for them, you just just pull the Band-Aid off already. You know, all we're getting right now is this non-committal spin. The premier was asked today, are our kids going to be going off for April break? And like, you get no answer. And the thing is, parents have to plan because parents have to book time off or they have to arrange for childcare. And all we get are these kind of, we'll let you know. I mean, crapper get off the pot already. I mean, it is very obvious cases that are not going to go down. And sure, we get all the doomsday scenarios served up. They have yet to come true. Have you yet seen the modeling come true? I have yet to see it come true. And it's clear that, you know, the only, the only tool that these tools have in their box is, is lockdowns. So, I mean, make a decision already. Because without the clarity, people are just, they're losing patience. They no longer trust this mixed messaging. Because all it is is maybe, or we hope, or we'll, we'll let you know. I mean, that's not leadership. It's just a crappy strategy that's just creating a whole lot of confusion and a whole lot more anger that uh, is going to reach a bubbling point. And it's also clear, vaccines aren't coming anytime soon. That mess just gets messier by the day. And as you've heard by now through the coverage, I mean, the pause button again being pressed on AstraZeneca... And, of course, PEI was using it to vaccinate those under 35 who work on the front lines. And apparently issues of clotting have popped up again. And we're so behind in vaccines. <clears throat> and it's time that people report it properly. You know, we only have people having one shot. The majority of Canadians, 4 million, the 4 million who have been inoculated have only gotten one shot most of those people and so it's not four million so every time we get a shipment of deliveries you've got to cut that number in half but we're so far behind and the premier is very very frustrated with the slow deliveries and now he said today you know like we're probably going to lose this option for a huge portion of people i'd rather wait uh it means a month or two months for pfizer and moderna and, and j and j than uh roll the dice on on this uh astrazeneca follow-up so um have people that have gotten that vaccine already have they rolled the dice no no don't don't no no not at all i'm talking about 35 years of age and uh, that's where they see the problems they don't see it 55 plus so i guess the new um marching orders are that no one under 55 gets the astrazeneca shot I mean, like last week, we were told no one over 65 should get it because it's not as effective. This vaccine has been an unmitigated PR disaster because you got the delays across Europe. The U.S. is not using it. I mean, they're, they're sending us 1.5 million doses tomorrow. I mean, maybe we now know why. But with this new concern, the messaging on efficacy, you know, I'm sure it is safe. But this is just going to make those who are already hesitant even more hesitant because it just looks like no one's in charge. And this is a vaccine that we have ordered 20 million. This is part of the great portfolio that Justin Trudeau has ordered. And um, if we can't give those to a lot of younger people, uh, I don't know how long it's going to take to vaccinate.
And AstraZeneca just issued a statement later uh, this afternoon pointing out that the EU, UK, WHO, they've all signed off saying the benefits far outweigh the risks. I have no doubt in that. I would take this vaccine. The problem is all the mixed messaging is making Canadians feel like guinea pigs. And once you lose the confidence, you're not going to get shots in arms. So we're going to talk about this because it's a pretty big development every day. It's a new new headline, either delays or hesitancy or shipments, always something. So we've got a great portfolio. Just can't use half of it, and the other half just never arrives. Here on Point, Alex Pearson, this is Global News Radio. I'm not sure if you heard this, but over the weekend, China announced it's leveling sanctions on individuals and entities in Canada and the U.S. And, of course, this is in response to sanctions being imposed on Chinese citizens and groups over the conditions in Xinjiang. And China sanctioned Conservative MP Michael Chong, who is also the party's foreign affairs critic. Sanctions were also placed on the House of Commons Subcommittee on International Human Rights, which uh, wrapped up things in October, concluding that China's treatment of the Uyghur population amounts to genocide. And I guess if China thought this strategy would stop the criticism, it did not. It not only united all the parties to condemn the move. And as for those sanctions, well, the MP says, quote, we've got a duty to call out China for its crackdown in Hong Kong and its genocide of Uyghurs. We who live freely in democracies under the rule of law must speak for the voiceless. If that means China sanctions me, I'll wear it as a badge of honor. Conservative MP Michael Chong for Wellington Halton Hills and the foreign affairs critic joins us now. Good to have you. Great to be here, Alex. And a great response, I think, that certainly says that you're not going to cower and bow down um, uh, or live in fear. But what does it mean now that they have slapped sanctions against you? Well, in practice, it means two things. First, I'm banned from going to China. And secondly, that Chinese citizens and companies are banned from doing business with me. So in practical terms, it will have no effect. We're living through the middle of a pandemic and I have no plans to travel outside of this country for the foreseeable future. And as an elected member of parliament, I don't do business with Chinese companies. Right. Do you think, though, it's possible? I mean, you've been outspoken on China. You have, and and, and certainly um, uh, the leader, Aaron O'Toole, has a a very um, hardened position, a known position on China. Do you think they would be targeting you because your dad is Hong Kong Chinese and they might want to be sending a message uh, that way? Would that be a possibility? Uh, I don't know, but I, you know, I'll say this, that in the last several days of sanctions that Chinese authorities have put on Numerous elected officials uh, in the United States, in the UK, and in Europe, there isn't a pattern of targeting people from one racial group. So we've all been outspoken and critical Mm -hmm. of the violations by China law and human rights. I think that's the common theme that uh, pervades all these sanctions. It's very clear that they're getting more aggressive and not less aggressive. I mean, one of their diplomats was uh, quite mouthy on Twitter and basically called the prime minister boy. I mean, kind of sending a message that he's a lapdog for the United States. You know, they're not going to uh, clearly back down. And it looks like they, they're starting up this campaign that we're just a bunch of wimps. China's diplomacy has been very clumsy in imposing these sanctions on me and others uh, abroad in recent days. You know, they've they've actually done the opposite of what they intended to do. These sanctions were an effort to silence us and to cow us into not raising these issues concerning the genocide in 
Xinjiang province. It's done the opposite. It's emboldened us to double down and speak up loudly about what is what are gross violations of international law. And they've only drawn attention to these human rights violations taking place in China and their and their diplomacy in regard to the name calling um, of the prime minister is juvenile. You know, they they're, you know, in their in their statement sanctioning me and others, you know, they they warned us about getting our fingers burnt. Well, the thing that first came to mind when I read that is that, you know, they're starting these diplomatic dumpster fires that they don't know how to put out. So where does it go from here? Because, um, you know, we've got to be careful. We've got the two Michaels uh, over there. But at the same time, we can't be seen as a lapdog and we certainly shouldn't be, um, you know, uh, cowering down. I mean, the the, the opposition parties um, led by the Conservatives were the reason that the genocide was declared. The prime minister has been tepid in his response to China. And so, you know, if the diplomats want to start mouthing back, why not kick the diplomats out? Uh, you mean, why not putting it, you know, start calling action on measures like Huawei, travel bans, something? I mean, th- there has to be, um, it can't just stop at the sanctions. Yeah, there are, I, I agree that there there are actions that need to be taken. Three immediate actions that come to mind is first, that the government should today introduce an immediate ban on the import of tomatoes and cotton from China. These Mm -hmm. products largely come from Xinjiang region in China, where the Uyghur Muslim minority lives. There's good Mm -hmm. evidence of forced labor and coercive labor being used uh, by the Uyghur people to produce these uh, products. And so the government should immediately ban the importation of tomatoes and cotton from China. I think the other two things the government should do is they should suspend payments uh, by Canadian of public funds raised from Canadian taxpayers to the China-led Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank. Just last week, they transferred another $40 million to this bank. Uh, This is an effort on part of China to expand its influence through the construction of large infrastructure facilities like ports, highways, and railways throughout the Indo-Pacific region. We should not be helping China expand its malevolent influence throughout Indo-Pacific. And so we should immediately suspend these payments from the federal government to this bank and announce our withdrawal from the bank. And finally, the government needs to take a decision on Huawei. They need to join, work multilaterally with our four other allies, the United States, the United Kingdom, Australia, and New Zealand, and join with them in banning Huawei from our telecommunications network. Well, that was supposed to be done after the election. It was supposed to be done before the election, but then we were told it would be done after. That is a decision, clearly, that Mr. Trudeau does not want to seem to uh, make or take, uh, despite the fact that all our our allies, as you well know, have already said, see you later, uh, to that. But, um, you know, is the concern that they're going to uh, kidnap more Canadians? Uh, I mean, at this point, it's just kind of the mudslinging is increasing it, but China's just going to continue to ratchet up its behavior. Well, I think we need to work multilaterally with our allies. Canada alone cannot, uh, cannot affect change with China. But Canada working in concert with democratic allies and partners like the United States, the UK, and other European allies can have a great impact. Together, we are much mm-hmm. larger economically and otherwise than China. And so we're starting to see in these early days Uh, The Trudeau government starting to acknowledge the threat that China is presenting to Canada and starting to work in concert with our allies. Uh, Just last week, they imposed uh, sanctions on four Chinese officials for these gross human rights violations against the Uyghur people. So 
we're starting to see the government change. They need to act a lot more quickly and a lot more decisively on some of the areas that we've just talked about. And have you been um, given a lot of support by the Trudeau government, you know, given their latest action? Well, Minister Garneau reached out to me to indicate his support, uh, which I was appreciative of. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's not about the sanctions on me. It's about the defense of the voiceless. It's about the 12 million Uyghurs in China mm-hmm. who are being persecuted, who are being, by the millions, forced into detention camps. It's about the people of Hong Kong who are being subjugated to a crackdown in violation of international law. And we've got to remain focused on these on these issues and put pressure on China to uh, to be a good global citizen and to change its ways and to be an upstanding citizen in the community of nations. And that is only going to happen if we work with other allies to put pressure on Beijing to change. Yeah, and and I could see, you know, a campaign mounting. I mean, once people actually understand that what they buy is being made with, um, you know, forced labor, um, if Canadians actually know, and I think they are starting to learn about that now in, in the last coming, you know, seems to be more of a mainstream topic. When Canadians know these things, they will act and, and purposely not buy those products. And so it's just a matter of, I think, educating people on, um, you know, what's happening there. Absolutely. And, you know, while China produces a fifth of the world's cotton, a four-fifths of it is produced elsewhere and produced from, by countries that are not engaging in these human rights violations. You know, China is a major tomato export exporter, but there are many other alternatives that we can purchase from. So we have options. And while trade and investment with, between Canada and China is significant, we should not overstate it. The fact is that uh, our trade with China pales in comparison with our trade with the United States. We yeah. export 20 times more each and every year to the United States compared to China. So trade is important, but at the end of the day, when it comes to these fundamental principles, we have to stand up for them, and trade cannot be primary over these principles such as human rights and the rule of law. Yeah, and last I tasted, uh, Canadian, uh, especially Ontario, um Ontario farmers grow the best tomatoes, so there's really no they, excuse that we have to buy our tomatoes from China. They absolutely do. Woodland Ontario is a great thing. There you go. All right, Mr. Chong, I wanted to uh, talk about this and make sure people knew of the latest action and this one taken against you, and certainly you're not cowering and you're standing up for it, so I appreciate your time on it. Thanks for having me, Alex. That is uh, Conservative MP Michael Chong, so we'll see what happens um, with this latest developing story, but uh, glad to see that he is standing up. To China, that is what we should be doing. Here on Point on Global News Radio. You can still do harm, and in fact, uh, senior leadership should be held to a higher standard um, because just by their actions and their words, they give the space for for predators who. Um, exist in all levels of society to to do harm to others. Good people can do harm. Good people can inadvertently um, encourage others to do harm. Good people who have done harm should still have consequences. So how can the Trudeau government claim to be no tolerant and a feminist government, given what we've learned over the last couple of weeks through Mercedes Stevenson reporting, which is that they chose to ignore sexual misconduct complaints by women in the military who have come forward 
And then they extended and gave one of the accused, retired General Jonathan Vance, a raise. And the voice you heard off the top there is Navy Lieutenant Heather McDonald, who is at the center of a sexual misconduct investigation involving Admiral Art McDonald, who has now stepped aside and who is breaking her silence because she says someone leaked details. She says steals the due process needed to get to the truth of this misconduct in our military and those in high ranking of, uh, positions that she feels have a very different set of rules. Adrian Batra, you know her as the editor-in-chief of Toronto's Sun, but she was at one point a former lieutenant in the Canadian Armed Forces and joins us now. Good to have you. Great to be with you, Alex. So this story is um, just continually exposing more and more um, revelations, and that is that there has been a, a toxic environment in our military, which we have known about for a long, long time. Um, let me ask you as a woman, does any, I mean, you were in the military, does any of this surprise you? I, I want to say it doesn't surprise me, but it, it makes me uncomfortable to say that because there's so many allegations and so many things have unfolded. And to be clear, it's been quite some time since I've been directly involved with the Canadian forces. But I, I want in some instances, this is not the military that I recognize. I mean, when I served back in early 90s um, and I, for, for quite some time, like seven, eight years I was in, I, I did personally didn't have these experiences. Now, did women around me or or, uh, others around me? Perhaps, but it wasn't something that was discussed. Now, in and around the time that I had joined the Canadian Forces, it was when the burgeoning issue of sexual harassment, sexual misconduct in the workforce, those things, those conversations were just happening, Alex. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, at the risk of aging myself, they were not... um, as pronounced because people didn't really talk about it. We're in a different era now. We're in a different generation now. And a lot of things have happened to get us to the point now where we've seen the former and now the current chiefs of defense staff come under these clouds of suspicion. I don't think that would have happened 15 years ago. So I think the the evolution of the what's happening in the, in the military now, and frankly, in any paramilitary organization, you can even talk about the RCMP, you can talk about police, you know, whatever the case may be. These things are coming to the fore. It's only going to make this force better when, when these things are addressed. But when I step back, it really does sink my heart that a military mm-hmm. that I love so very much um, is going through something where not only do they have anybody truly defending them, but it also is indicative to me that you have no political will to want no. to try to fix part of these problems. And that, yeah, I mean, problems for the future generations that would serve in the military. Right. And as, as Colonel Michel Drapeau says, you know, it's rudderless, it's leaderless, and it's a, it's a, it's a, an organization in crisis, which is not what you want, certainly in your, your military. But I see those commercials on TV as they try to recruit, and you think, what young woman right now watching this commercial is going to want to think, gee, I'd, I'd like a career in the military? And that then speaks to the leadership of, or lack thereof, of Harjit Sajjan. I mean, it's quite clear that the Prime Minister's office knew about these allegations. It's quite clear they either chose to ignore them or chose not to know about them. They promoted, they uh, gave raises to general uh, advance. Um, and, you know, how can you call yourself this feminist government and, and someone who doesn't have any tolerance for this when clearly there is? 
our colleague at Global, Mercedes Stevenson, has done such an incredible job with laying out this story with compassion and facts. I would not do any of it justice. But let's just go back in time a little bit. Since the the very first time um, Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan went to committee to testify about the allegations against General Vance, he was very quickly contradicted by the former ombudsman, Gary Wolburn, about the timing and what was presented. Yeah. Harjit Sajjan had a meeting with Gary Wolburn where Walburn presented an allegation of misconduct against Vance to, to Sajjan. Sajjan pushed that information away. He's like, I don't even want to see it. He didn't want to even look at the whatever evidence is there because Sajjan claims that he didn't want to politicize this, this situation. Alex, I can tell you the entire thing is already politicized, regardless of the yeah. direct interference or not from a, a politician. But as the minister responsible for this and ostensibly um, our Canadian forces, he had an obligation to take that information and then to advise the ombudsman, in my view, on, on course of conduct. In the subsequent time since that, you know, Gary Walburn really felt frozen out by this government. They didn't want to hear from him anymore. And then we hear more contradictory information from a, another former, another senior civil servant about who knew what and when. The information was provided to the Privy Council office that gives support to cabinet Prime Minister's office, Justin Trudeau's office, Trudeau's office was aware. Now, how much information they were given? Was it a staffer briefed? Possibly. Was the Prime Minister directly briefed? I would think that if your top general responsible for, you know, the safety of this country um, mm. has a serious allegation against them, the Prime Minister is going to be made aware of it. Now, whether they did anything about it, that's another story. I think what we're seeing is as far as they've done nothing about it. But mm-hmm. to your earlier point about, you know, the so-called feminist, the woke prime minister, the, it's 2015, it's, you know, even half female, half males in his cabinet. We have known that the manner by which he's treated fe- former female colleague, uh, colleagues of his, be it um, Jody Wilson-Raybould, be it Cesar Chavez, uh, Selena Cesar Chavez, be it uh, Jane Philpott. We know that he, it's all all bluster and no um, action, and it's just rhetoric, and it, these are good sound bites for him. But this is very serious because, again, not only for recruitment for future um, soldiers in our to help preserve the freedoms in which we all enjoy and appreciate. Um, the the bigger challenge uh, the, the, in the immediacy is. Um, you know, dissension among the ranks, frustration amongst the groups, uh, the, the soldiers that are in the and serving the forces right now. And so right. I don't know how they unwind all of this, but certainly there's got to be some accountability. Well, you would think that it would start at the top. I mean, we already know that Mr. Sajjan likes to make up tales. He told a lie about his, uh, you know, one of his missions that he, I mean, he completely fabricated a story. But, you know, he has now, I think, uh, in my opinion, been caught to to being dishonest on, on the stand in his testimony. And I don't know how he is not removed from that post. I mean, how do you believe in the leadership if you have no faith in in, in Mr. Sajjan? And, and I don't know if this prime minister will get rid of him, but he should. You know, it's interesting about that whole embellishment of of his time in the military. I don't know. And and, and he said it to um, I think it was to the Indian media where he said it. Uh, 
I don't know why, um, you know, Harjit Sajjan would have done that because he does have a, a very exceptional career with the military, a very uh, proud and, and, and well-respected career in the military. He had no need to over-exaggerate, but that's one thing. Now, with respect to whether or not he survives politically, I think the answer is yes, he does. Look at what it takes in order for um, Justin Trudeau to let anybody go or shuffle somebody out. The last person we saw was uh, Bill Morneau. Bill Morneau took a very expensive trip from the WE organization that he quote unquote forgot to pay for it, but paid for it the mm. day before he went to committee. So I think you have to have a pretty high level, a high threshold of egregiousness, um, which in my view, Harjit Sajjan has met. But uh, I just I just think that Justin Trudeau, um, looking towards a potential election, does not want to draw more attention to this story, which it should be getting so much more attention than it is. Um, I don't think Trudeau wants to do that um, because then it suddenly puts another spotlight maybe on his office, what they knew, what they didn't do, what they did know. Um, and so there's there's sort of in that political um, gamesmanship about whether or not you hang on to a minister or just let them take all the heat and uh, and and then and hope that by the time an election comes and goes, it's over and forgotten with. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, there's a reason Andrew Leslie did not run again, and there's a reason he showed up at Mark Norman's, uh, the Vice Admiral Mark Norman's um, uh, proceedings when he was getting those uh, charges dropped. Um, I think all those things people should 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 read more into those because they do tell, I think, a fascinating story because it's all in the same time frame. Uh, we'll talk again because I don't think this story is finished. In fact, I know it's not. Adrian, appreciate your insight. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Adrian Batra, editor-in-chief over at the Toronto Sun, but she also has a view of the military from her days uh, back in the 90s of what it would be like. Here on Point, I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio. I don't think people should set their watch to that because we have a very serious health situation on the go at the moment. It continues to be on the go. It continues, in fact, to deteriorate to some extent. And that that requires all of us to be looking at this on a day-by-day basis, that uh, we have to keep people's health paramount and have to take a cautious approach. And I make no apology for the fact that I'm an advocate for a cautious approach. That is Mayor Tory speaking today about uh, will we open on April 12th? And uh, he's not just cautious. I mean, it, uh, he's just not making any decisions at all. And um, the 12th is when salons and tattoo shops, uh, hairdressers, nail salons, whatever, uh, are supposed to be able to open up in Toronto GTA for the first time since November 23rd. But with the cases going up by the day, and all this talk about lockdowns, it seems to be kind of impossible to think that these businesses will actually open in two weeks. And yet if you're in one of these industries, right now you're working to get your shop ready, your staff back in place. And then got to be wondering, you know, why? Let me bring into this conversation Benny Cecilia. He is the owner of the Blow Dry Lounge in Toronto. This is a hair salon. He joins us now. Good to have you, Benny. Hi, Alex. So you own three salons in, in Toronto, and do you have any confidence that you will be opening on the 12th? <laughs> um, I, you know what, as, more, as much as I want to be hopeful, um, listen, I'm ready to open April 12th. Uh, but, I mean, and then all of a sudden the badump bump comes up and John Tory comes and says, don't hold your breath. Right, the numbers say don't hold your breath. So it's like it's hard to know what to believe nowadays. 
So, I mean, it's not just an automatic, and I'm not sure if you've got us on speakerphone, but it's a bit harder to hear you on speakerphone, but um, it, it costs money to open. I mean, have you told your staff to come back? Like, how are you preparing for, for the unknown? Um, well, I mean, I've, I've been in contact with my staff, and, you know, they've all been waiting patiently to come back to work. Um, you know, our clients have all been waiting, like it seems, right by their computer to book their, their appointments online. I was in the shops today looking, and it seems to get to be getting filled up. Um, if they do push the, um, you know, move the goalpost, as Doug Ford would say, um, it's going to be such a pain to go back and call each and every one of those clients and apologize and try to play fortune teller as to when you're going to open and going on for four months. It's like, come on guys. Yeah. And not to mention you got a book in, I mean, it's, it might not be as hard for salons, but I mean, you do have to have supplies. I mean, certainly restaurants kind of, you know, they go through this motion where they have to order in food and booze and then they get shut down. I mean, you still have to order in and get ready. And so it's going to cost you money. Um, you know, BC, which has been open since May, just ordered a three-week lockdown, um, which tells me, yeah, of course we're going back. We didn't even come forward. Of course we're going to go back. I know. I, you know, it, it really it doesn't make sense at this point because, I mean, for, you know, as hair salons, we've gone above and beyond uh, to make it a safe environment. Like, I mean... It's it's almost as it's it's almost safer than going to the dentist coming to a salon. You know, everybody's wearing masks. We're, you know, the PPE. Like I can go on and on about everything that we've done. We've like flipped. We've done backflips to try and provide a safe environment for people to come in, and and we are safe. Like on a regular basis, we're trained for this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it just gets and, frustrating how we're just kind of put on a back burner and like, you know, just looked upon as, oh, well, you know, they can wait. Kind of like you're disposable. And and so how much, um, I mean, how much time do you need to open up? I mean, are you, are, you, are, are you just kind of assuming that you are opening up and kind of going about business that, yeah, you've got an opening date? Listen, I, that's, that's the way I'm looking at it right now. I'm ready to open tomorrow if they ask. Um, everything that we had to do, uh, we've done in excess to make it a safe mm-hmm. environment. Um, you know, like, like really, you know, we, all our products are in. Everything is ready to go. It's just we're waiting for the green light from the province or, uh, or the medical officer of health of Toronto or what have you. It's just... You know, it's it's a matter of us getting the go-ahead, and then we can open. Might have to dust a little bit and make sure everything is nice and clean and and shiny, but we're ready. Like hair salons are ready to open. Like we've been ready since last March, since since like. April of November, November 23rd. You know, this would be, it's hard to say that this is our third lockdown because Toronto really hasn't come out of lockdown, but this would be a, a third. Uh, and how, you know, who knows how long this would last? I mean, how much longer? I mean, rent in, in a place like Toronto is not cheap. I mean, how much longer no. can you go on like this? Oh, uh, it's, 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 it's getting tight. It's getting really tight. And... You know, and what happens is, you know, by by keeping us shut down, it's pushing the whole industry underground. And how can they think that's safer? And then trying to recover that and try to attract staff to come back after being underground and 
it's it's just gonna it's just the longer the longer they wait the the more detriment it'll have on the industry. Yeah, and not to mention, um, you know, the the instability at some point. It's just probably better at some point for your business to just just rip the bandaid off. Yes or no? Are we in? Are we out? Yeah. Like you know, give like, us some uh, some like, stability. I mean, just let us open. Let us open, and then look at the science. Look at the math. Look at whatever that heck you have to look at to realize that it's not coming from hair salon. Like, well, come on. yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I sense your frustration. I got a lot of emails from businesses like yours saying, I, I don't know if I'm coming or going, but I do hope, no, I do hope you're opening no up. Sense. It makes no sense. Like, you, you like you know, and, and it's the same song I could sing like everybody else. You can go to these big box places, this and that. But it's true. Like, yeah. a little salon, you know, with like three people in there, all fully masked, contact traced, sanitized, everything... How can that be unsafe? Well, let's stay tuned and see what the announcement comes up. I'm coming up against the clock, but uh, we'll certainly be thinking about uh, stores and and businesses like yours because you really sure have gotten the short end of the stick. Benny, I appreciate your time. Thanks, Alex. Benny is the owner of the Blow Dry Lounge, just one of many salons that has not been able to open and uh, just kind of feeling like uh, it ain't coming. It's not going to happen again. Stay with us. Alex Pearson on point. This is Global News Radio. You can join us, of course, live Monday through Friday, starting 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson on Point. This is Global News Radio.